you are listening to a night dream. The night dream podcast. Well, uh, one day I would like to finish the two books that I started. You are listening to a night dream. The night dream podcast. My shed. Twenty years of happiness, followed by twenty years of sadness, has stripped you back into a careful balancing act. Your past holds onto your future, so that even a slight change to your routine ripples like a disturbed lake. The routine has grown around you like a tree, alive but immobile. You still don't smoke inside out of respect for the dead, so at least ten times a day you leave the house and walk down to the garden shed. Like your house, the garden is a mess. Rotting wood, washed-out plastic and aggressive overgrowth can be seen everywhere. You don't like visual metaphors, you like smoking in the shed while listening to music. The shed is full of comforting ornaments and tools. The ornaments want presents or things outgrown by the house. Sometimes you want different things, so after your cigarette you head back inside to the kitchen and make tea. Afterwards you sleep deeply but uneasily. As your alarm wakes you, you twist in an attempt to turn it off, knocking a picture on your bedside table to the floor. The glass cracks and this makes you very sad very quickly and your clumsiness tips and catches the scales dragging them to the present. The picture is fine, it's you and your partner on your wedding day. Normally you enjoy looking at it from your peripheral vision, indirectly, but safely acknowledging that it's still there. Panicked, you leave the room, desperately trying to rejoin the routine that you've so doggedly endured up until now. Still crying, you make a cup of tea. Crying in the house is fine, you've done that a lot, but you're unwilling to taint the shed, so you hover in the path between the house and the shed, even though you really want to smoke. You really have let things get bad. Unable to repress your thoughts, you're suddenly aware of the fact that it is not okay to just be alive. It is not okay to just be alive. It's a scary thought, and you breathe quickly and unevenly. And after some toast, you decide to buy a new frame to replace the old one. It becomes clear to you that it is impossible to respect the past while letting things get worse. There's a huge home improvement shop on the industrial estate near where you do your shopping, so you walk there. Normally you get the bus, but you aren't in a hurry, and while buying the frame you walk past the paint aisle. Why not, you think to yourself, and the paint pots hang off your hands and their weight is a constant reminder of their existence. By the time you walk home, you are really tired, and after making dinner, you reframe the picture and look at it. It takes you a week and one more trip to repaint the rest of the house. It takes four days to empty the room that you call the study. And as you judge your past self, it feels good to behave differently. The radio keeps you company as you work, and although it takes years, eventually the house is livable, 
and you slowly replace the sadness with love for yourself. Now you fill your time with gardening and chatting to employees at the hardware store. One day, you look up while planting a row of courgette seeds. The sun is as bright as you think it could possibly be, and your heart stops working as you collapse into the soil. The family that move in love the raised flower beds that you made. Health in his glass. The year is 2013, and you've just seen The Great Gatsby in the cinema. Going in, you have mixed expectations, although you really like the book's simplicity. You sometimes see yourself as a less driven, less charming Gatsby. Other times you could be Nick, whose modesty and self-doubt is attractive to you. Lana Del Rey's young and beautiful sticks to you. She gets it. Nobody longs like she does. At first you are happy to dismiss the modern soundtrack as a trailer talking point or a cynical, lazy Hollywood approach to bring in more famous names. You now feel humbled. Of course, roomfuls of people stared into their desks thinking and thinking about an America that you don't really know, and they did it for you, and now you feel an enormous gratitude towards Lana Del Rey. She has changed your day and made you feel emotional. As you sit on the train, you stare through the window, seeing the smudges and dirt on it. The train slows and you look through in someone's kitchen. It's empty, but you see their fridge, which looks old. You picture someone cooking a meal as young and beautiful repeats in your head on a loop. Of course, really, you are Daisy. A less enchanting, a less sad Daisy. The train windows reflect the trees outside as you try to think about your own life but can't. You think about how it would feel to have your own book made into a film. Staring into the table, you feel tricked. You didn't expect to feel this way. and You can't picture yourself as violent or forceful. But you really don't want to be the character that bends. Young and Beautiful continues to play in your head as you get out your copy of Moby Dick. Somehow the combination works. Demoles make soil wine. Demoles make soil wine, you ask your dad. They do, he says. Did mouse catchers really used to catch mice, you ask. They did, he says. Why do sharks look the way they do, you ask him. He says they look like how you would look if you only cared about eating things and swimming. Did you know the socks you bought at the market say hike on them, not Nike? You ask him, and he says he didn't. Why don't supermarkets sell rabbit meat, you ask him. And he tells you that you need a special license to sell rabbit meat, and you believe him. While flying high above some mountains, you ask him if when the plane lands, you can step on them. He says you can, but he doesn't really understand what you meant. Years later, he changes the subject and tells you about his dad, who you never met, who manned an anti-air gun in the city. He said they never shot anything down, but they fired a lot of bullets. After the war, he opened a cafe in a cheaper town, and your dad had the choice of staying in school and living with his aunt, or moving with the new family business. So he left school at 14, 
and although it paid well, it twisted him a bit. You ask your dad about violence, and he tells you that if you're lucky, you can live your whole life without it. He says the only fight he's ever been in was with his older brother, who punched him once, and then the fight was over. They had a complex relationship, he says. As you get older, he tells you that he was adopted by his dad's brother because of something sad that happened to his family. Before you play tennis together, you ask your dad about what books he's read, and he tells you about a sci-fi novel in which the human race is wiped out and nature reclaims the planet. There's a scene he remembers vividly about a puma crawling through the undergrowth. He can't remember the title of the book or the author, and you never find it. After playing, he tells you about another book that he read as a child. It is about a tower, and although he gives you a copy, you purposefully haven't read it yet, so that at some point in your life you can read it. Years later, you tell him about a sci-fi book that you read in a hostel. The main character steals a gun that makes people experience intense pleasure until they orgasm. It's the most powerful gun in the world, and you both laugh about it. He asks you to get him a blanket, and you ask him why he's always cold, and he says he always has been. He's very skinny, and he always has been. You ask him why he's sick every morning before going to work, he says he doesn't know, but you think it's because of stress. You ask him why he sleeps in till eleven, when your mum gets up at six. He doesn't know. When you're thirteen, he brings you a coffee in bed and it's so strong that you feel crazy. He says that's how they should be and brings you them until you move out. Will you write me a letter to remember you by, you ask him. I will, he says, but he doesn't. Maybe you didn't ask him, but you think you did. You regret any cruelty that you aim towards him, but you think that at least the cruelty was outweighed by other things. There can never be anything better. You've spent your entire life in and on an enormous tree. It has always been so much more to you than a house. And when you were young, it sprouted fences on walkways to keep you from falling. And at night, you slept in a soft wooden cot that over the years grew with you into a large bed. The tree has always been attentive to your needs. It fashioned shutters and doors to keep the winds at bay, but also grew a large balcony for you to look out over the forest. There is always food growing on the smaller plants that cling to the tree and you've never felt true hunger. Water pools in hardened basins for you to drink, and in larger ones for you to bathe in. In the tree trunk there is a huge staircase that steps have grown with you as you age. You sit in a pile of ferns, reading a piece of bark that the tree has grown for you. The language is clear to you, although appears to many as nothing more than a series of knots, lines, and patches of sap. It's clear to you that the tree loves you, and it has always provided for you, your entire life. Even more so, it has kept you company high in the canopy, where few animals can survive. You've never thought about trying to leave, how could you? How could you leave something that designs itself and grows to your needs? 
The fort to you is unthinkable. Besides, the stairs do not go down, just up. From the lowest branches, which are still so high up and far from the ground. Would the birds spend so much time flying if their food grew straight into their beaks? You don't know. A terrible storm rocks the tree. It groans and cracks all night until sunrise. You hear a noise that you've never heard before, and the tree shudders through every branch. You look down to the base of the enormous tree and see two people, naked, running from the tree, which is shaking so violently that you hold onto a window to keep yourself from falling. The figures run without looking back. You wait by the window, and sometime later they return with more people, holding sticks that pulse at one end, flickering with unnatural, small light. The people hold these small suns at arm's length, and you fear them. The tree that is your home continues to shake, but less violently, as if tired. The people mill around excitedly, but stop when one of them points at you. You notice that the tree you have grown up in and call home is slowly closing the door to the room you are in.